Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. But we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to just read the word. We're going to remember the gift that Jesus has given us and, um, and we're just going to honor that. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing how how much culture has changed. And I have a feeling that um, it's not going to get better. But there would be a time when many people all over the, this area, this world, this country would, would gather on a night like this to remember the, the gift of Jesus Christ. We're gonna, we're gonna read some, some passages out of Isaiah and I think it kind of helps us, or at least help me, um, understand kind of how good God's gift is. Isaiah, if, if you're not familiar, he was a prophet, an Old Testament prophet. That just means that he was before Jesus. He prophesied before Jesus. And his whole book, if you've never read the book of Isaiah, it is just dripping with Jesus. It is prophecies about uh, the coming Messiah and and the things that he would accomplish. And Isaiah 59 is, um, is where we're going to go. So we're going to go to verse 1. And it says right there, and, and, and maybe you'll see why we're reading this scripture today. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear dull, that it cannot hear. And I just want us all to leave here as we've taken our time out of, a, out, of, out, of a, out of our Saturdays to come here and to gather before the Lord. I, w- I want you to remember this verse. I want it to sit in every one of our hearts that the Lord's hand is not too short. What does that mean? It means that he can reach down and he can save you. He can save me in whatever circumstance that we're in. It's not too short. See, I, I live in a family, and the one thing I like about the most about going to Miami is, is I'm tall there. All right, I'm not very tall around here, but I get around my wife's family, and I'm head and shoulders above everybody else. In fact, my son was walking around, and he's like, yeah, I like it here, because he's just hit his growth spurt, and he is just about as tall as everyone down there, if not taller. It's, and so if you don't know what it is to be short, to not be able to reach something, um, it, it's, it's, it's pathetic in a sense. And I, no offense to short people, that's not what I'm saying, but, but to watch somebody who's too short reach for something, like, like it's just sad. And what I, I'm a hater, my wife just said hater. <laughs> like a baby reaching for something. I'm not talking about a short adult, but like a baby reaching for something. But God, is, is, his arm is long enough. And in fact, what we see in the gift of Jesus is that his arm was long enough to reach right down onto this planet and to bring this. See, I want you to leave here tonight, and if you don't remember anything else I say, if you can remember that, that his arm's not too short to save you and his ear is not dull. I've noticed as I get older, um, my ears don't work as good as they did when I was younger. Um, and my dad just laughed at me. And, and it's kind of, I guess, going to be good because I can watch my father and the kids can be real loud and he doesn't hear a thing. But God's hearing is good. 
He can hear you even in your whisper, even in the cry of your heart. Like, he's not dull. Like, sometimes we think we have to do all of these things, all of this performance to perhaps get God's attention. And I'm going to tell you, no, he has, you have his attention. He loves you. But we're going to read, and so this is the promise. This is the promise that God said. God promised that his arm was not too short or his ears dull. And we're going to read of some things in this next chapter. We're going to read about the problems. If you look at verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. This right here is a state that every single person is in, and they feel the effects, but they may not know why they're feeling that way. But every bit of darkness that we go through, it comes from this separation that exists, that sin got in the way. When Adam sinned, it started this great rip, this tear between God and man. But God's arm is not too short. And he's, he's not dull of hearing. He, he can mend that tear. But iniquities, sin, they separate. It says, your sins have hidden his face from you. I want to be honest. We all sin. We all make mistakes. And this is not to, um, to come down on anybody. But sin, sin separates us from God. God is disgusted by sin. If you've seen that or, or, or in the headlines on your phone when you flick through the news with your thumb. And there, there's just some things you read or you hear. And do, do you just like, ugh, I don't even want to read that. I don't even want to click on that. It, it grieves our hearts. Well, God's sensitivity to sin is even greater. And so in a sense, he, hide, it hides, he hides his face from sin. Verse 3, it says, for your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken. See, there is a... Whoa. There is a thing that happens. We might need some batteries, Mike. There is a thing that happens with, 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 with our lives. And in a sense, you might say, well, I haven't killed anybody. But Jesus, the Word of God become flesh, the Son of God... He basically said, if you were ever angry with someone in your heart without cause, it's the same as murder. And let me tell you something. I murdered a lot of people on that highway coming up here. A lot of people made me angry. Not, not, not like I'm not confessing to actual murder. But I'm saying there was an anger in my heart that it just people cutting me off or driving crazy or not paying attention. And, and if we're all honest that happens to all of us. We're quick to want to judge other people for the sin that they have. And in a sense, that's murder. And our fingers with iniquity, we, we're stuck in sin without Jesus. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue has muttered wickedness. See, this is the problem. Thank you, brother. This is the problem. People are covered in sin and it justly and no one goes to law and give birth to iniquity. We have an issue in our culture. We have an issue in our own lives with honesty. We could, we could point out all the lawsuits that are frivolous. But in a sense, we're, we're always holding people to account to the law. 
even when we ourselves do not live up to the law. There's too much lying. And see, we conceive mischief in our hearts and, and we give birth to this iniquity. See, humans, and I want to say this, and I want to say this, like we were not worth saving, but God chose to save us anyway. See, he didn't have, and when I say we were not worth it, I mean like we were really messed up. It would have been easier, almost more righteous for God in some ways, just to start over completely. But God is loving, and he, he comes to us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of the times that we give birth to iniquity. It's talking about people, says verse 5, it says, They hatch adder's eggs, they weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and the and from the one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Verse 6, their webs will not serve as clothing, and men will not cover themselves with what they make. It's this poetic prophecy of, of sin just being like a spider's web, that, that we're constantly, uh, without Christ, this is every single one of us. We're constantly creating more sin and, and creating these webs of sin to involve other people into our sin and, and trying to cover up the darkness in our own lives by, by leading people to more wickedness. But men cannot cover themselves with what they make. The only thing we can be covered with is the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's freely given. And it's not because we deserve it. But it's because we have a loving God who loves us and choose to love us. And works of iniquity and the deeds of violence are in their hands. Like in our almost a, a, a description of what we're seeing in our culture, in our country, in our city. People filled with violence. Deeds of violence. Verse 7, it says, their feet run to evil. And they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. See, this is the everyone without Jesus. By the grace of God, this is where we would be. Running deeper and deeper into sin. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace, verse nine, they do not. Or verse eight, they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked, and no one who treads on them knows peace. See, people are crying out for peace, but you won't know it without Jesus. This is the problem. Sin is the problem. God's promise was His arm is not too short. Um, re we're reading a scripture and you're like, man, people are terrible. And you don't understand how wonderful God is until you understand how terrible we are without him. Verse 9, their justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. This is the psychology See, the problem of sin, but this is, this is the psychology of a sinner. Is they're, they're hoping for light. They're hoping for happiness. Verse 10, we grope for the wall like the blind. 
We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. Without Christ, we're blind. This is a psychology, and this is why we're not pointing fingers at the world. We're pointing fingers at Jesus. You can't blame a blind man for not seeing. See, people are lost, and God loves them. And that's why it is our responsibility to take them the gospel so that perhaps they might see, that they might hear. Verse 11, look at this. The people that are without Jesus, they growl like bears. They moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation. But it's far from us. See, we have to understand that, that this is the, 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 what the world is apart from God, which is why we need to understand this so we can get the appreciation for him reaching into this world where people were lost, where salvation was far, where there was no justice. Verse 12, For our transgressions have multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Verse 13, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. The world is lost, and it's a dark place without Jesus. Sometimes us who found him, us who, who know what it is to be forgiven, who know what it is for God to love us when we're not perfect and to accept us and to, to fill us with his spirit and to give us his grace and to cover our, our sins with his blood, like we forget what life is like without him. And let me for something, but they're blind and they can't. Verse 14, justice has turned back and righteousness stands far away. The truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Seems a lot like our world, where truth is being kicked out of the public square. Verse 15, truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. This is a world without Jesus. And let me tell you something. It's the world we're living in. And when we try to depart, it's, it's funny how you can try to, to do right, to depart from evil. You can try to say truth and to say right, and you get attacked like prey. Now, I read all this, and these first few verses were pretty dark and pretty depressing. And you're like, man, I shouldn't have even come tonight. What the heck, Chris? But verse 16 is where it all turns. Verse 15, at the end of it says, The Lord saw it, and he, it, it displeased him that there was no justice. So you have to understand what the world is like without Christ in order to appreciate how wonderful he is. See, he saw, verse 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. You're getting a picture of the world that God is reaching down into. That's the world Jesus was born into. 
He was born into a dark world, and we still live in it. But one day, he will return again and put an end to all of that. Here's a picture of Jesus, verse 17. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself as zeal in a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay their repayment. See, Jesus is coming to bring vengeance. And you know what? That's going to be good. It's going to be good for him to put an end to every pedophile. That will be great. To put an end to every thief. I was watching on the news, or actually on YouTube, not the news. There, there was... Um, People in one city, San Francisco, they were actually leaving their cars wide open so that people didn't break their windows to look in their car. Won't it be great when there's not a thief on this planet? <laughs> Amen. Somebody's, somebody was telling me their, their money got stolen electronically. There's people right now trying to rip you off online to get in your bank account, and it will be great when that is all gone. When no little child has to be used in an inappropriate way, that will be wonderful. It says, verse 19, So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. And He will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. Verse 20, And a Redeemer will come to Zion and to those in Jacob who return from their transgressions. Verse 21, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I've put in your mouth will not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. See, there's a wonderful thing in the coming of Jesus. He comes once meekly as a baby. See, and tonight I want you to remember his first coming. We're going to have some passages, and we're going to read about the first coming of Jesus as a meekly second coming of Jesus. I want you to remember that we will have a celebration when he comes to put sin and darkness where it belongs. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you will look at the coming. The word that became flesh, the God who, who was born in, in a very humble place, laid as a baby in a manger, grew up, grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. The God who who even though he had 12 of the closest people in the world to him, even one of them turned his back. See, he knows what it is to be human. And now is the time of grace. Jesus came and he walked this planet. He knows what it is to be rejected. If you're suffering rejection, Jesus knows how it feels. He knows how it feels when someone turns their back on them. If you're, if you're not celebrating this holiday season because maybe someone's turned their back on you, 
Jesus knows how that feels. Jesus died on a cross. He suffered as a criminal, but he committed no crime. And the reason he suffered that way was to take our suffering upon himself. To deal with the first thing. Look at verse 2 again. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Verse 2 of, verse, of chapter 59. Put that on there, please. Jesus came and he dealt with that. In fact, Isaiah 53 says he was bruised for our iniquities. Our iniquities are taken care of. He was, he, he was pierced for our transgressions. So as we remember the first coming, and we celebrate in our sins being forgiven, second coming, seed tonight, for you to look forward to the second coming that Jesus will return. For a long time, I always wondered why they would end, um, like the book of Revelation, it ends, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And I, I always was like, well, why are they crying out for Jesus? Well, we live in a dark place still. Seems like darkness is growing. So maybe we can stand like the Apostle John, who wrote Revelation, and say, come, Lord Jesus. Put an end to all of this. And let me tell you something. His arm's not too short. The first hand he brought down was a hand of grace. It reached down and gave grace and mercy to all who would call upon him. That second hand, I think it's more like a fist. Now I suggest you get out of the way. Jump into his hand of mercy his hand of grace. But just know that he is coming. And let me tell you, nobody expected him to be born where he was born or when he was born. Very few people did. So we don't know when he will return. But I want you to think about that and, and remember that this season. But tonight is about his first coming. So I have four wonderful people that I love very much. Actually, five help me tell this story. Come over here, Chloe. As we remember the first coming of Jesus. Chloe, what are we going to talk about tonight? This is the Christmas story. This is the Christmas story. These that they've been hearing about almost every day of their lives from me. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of David, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were 
there at the time came for her, for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there's no place for them in the inn. That's right. Born in a barn, laid in a manger. He left the throne for that because he loves you. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of joy that will be all for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a that with angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, hosts praising and God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, uh, the highest, and on earth peace among those who with whom He is pleased." Born in a manger, even the angels came and rejoiced. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem, saying. He, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it had came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Born in a manger, left his throne, born in a manger, worshipped by angels, wise men began to seek him. Today, there's still wise men seeking him. God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true life, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Into his own. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, did believe his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. The word became flesh. It's important to remember. Good job. Thank you, guys. Those were just some scripture readings out of the book of Luke, the book of Matthew, and the book of John. And it's important to know that we celebrate tonight the Word becoming flesh, being born in a manger, 
full of grace and truth. The light of the world. I spent a lot of tonight reading about the darkness that is in the world. Tonight, right now, we're going to light our candles. Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>